Being a Better Man, Episode 26, The Naughty Bird. You have just entered a world governed by personal accountability, where being a man is not an excuse for bad behavior, where complaints are not allowed, whining is forbidden, and excuses do not exist. Join us as we focus on the actual character of men rather than merely the trappings of manhood. Well, hold it. We're not doing that today. Today is story time. That's right, folks. Instead of the regularly scheduled podcast, I've decided to squeak in something extra in between. Story time with Alf. These stories are relevant to the mission here at Being a Better Man, because in every story, even though these are my stories, there is some lesson, example, or other nugget that you might be able to apply to your life, or it might remind you of your own similar story. Either way, you should be entertained. So at the end of each story, I will talk briefly about what the lesson learned was, the moral of the story, in other words. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the story. In the summer of 1968, I was six years old. I had a group of friends. There were four or five of us that used to hang around together. It was almost like a club. We traveled around the neighborhood in a little pack. It was very Lord of the Flies. We got into some trouble, but not too much. Mainly, we were just discovering the world together. A bunch of little six-year-olds. We didn't have a definite leader, but a couple of us took charge more often than others. We all had our role to play in the group, and those roles were constantly changing and shifting as we grew as individuals and as a group. We were, after all, baby men. So we spent a great deal of time pretending to be men, imitating our fathers and trying our burgeoning masculinity on as though it were a new suit. It was all very natural, the way things are supposed to be, in my opinion. Now, the house I lived in had a design flaw. It had a huge picture window in the front. That wasn't the problem. The problem was that it also had a huge picture window in the back, directly opposite from the one in the front. You could stand there and look all the way through the house. I guess that isn't a huge problem unless you are a bird. Birds were constantly killing themselves trying to fly through our house, breaking their necks on the glass. My mother would hang things in the window to try to deter them, but after cleaning sometimes she forgot until the next bird hit the window. One day, me and my little band of merry men were hanging out at my house and we heard this big bang and we ran over to find a freshly dead bird, a robin. Usually when we found a dead bird, it was cold and had been dead for a while. Some of those birds became science projects. We would learn all about anatomy, dissecting them with borrowed kitchen knives. Look, I know it sounds bad, but It's really a pretty normal boy thing to do. We wanted to see how things work. And it was all in the name of science and curiosity. The bird we found today was different, or at least it seemed different to us, because it had been alive just seconds ago. It was still warm. Its eyes were still bright and shiny. We passed it around, all of us taking turns holding it and examining it, marveling at the fact that it was dead when it still looked and felt alive. Death, it seems, 
is a complex thing for a six-year-old to wrap their head around, but we were trying to understand it. Then I came up with an idea. I suggested that we bury the bird and say a prayer for it so it could go to heaven. It sounds nice and everything, but this, too, was another form of an experiment, because the second half of my plan was that we would dig up the grave the next day to make sure that the bird went to heaven. My partners all agreed. We gave the bird a nice funeral while it was still warm. Afterwards, we all felt pretty good about ourselves. It seemed to us as though the bird had a much better chance of getting into heaven being so freshly dead. And lucky for that bird, we sent it straight to heaven. That's almost like not dying at all, right? The next day, we all gathered and went to the bird's grave. We started digging, and we were shocked and very confused to find the body of the bird still in the grave. We all looked at each other, not understanding. Someone suggested that we just didn't pray long enough. Someone else suggested it wasn't buried deep enough. I put forth the idea that perhaps this bird was a bad bird. Maybe it had done something bad and couldn't get into heaven. Maybe it was a naughty bird. But the more I thought about it, it didn't make sense to me. How could a bird be bad. It must just be that we didn't pray enough, or maybe somebody in our group didn't close their eyes. So we decided to rebury the bird and pray even harder, and that's what we did. Everybody swore that they would close their eyes. The next day, however, it was still in the grave, and the day after that, and the day after that, and the day after that. For five days, we kept digging up the increasingly ripe bird, reburying it, praying harder and harder, but no matter what we did, it just couldn't get into heaven. My friends decided they didn't want to keep digging up the smelly bird. They were prepared to write it off as a naughty bird. I just couldn't do it, though. I became obsessed by the puzzle. I was consumed with the question of why this bird could not go to heaven. So, operating on my own now, I continued to dig the bird up every day. And every day, I would repeat the ritual. I tried lots of different things. I made a little cross, made a headstone. I tried wrapping it in cloth and then a shoebox. I knew there had to be a formula, but nothing was working. Two weeks went by. By this time, the bird was only recognizable because of its feathers. The maggots had arrived, and I wondered if the bird did make it to heaven, if the maggots would end up there with it. Now, my mother had grown curious because I'd been asking a lot of odd questions. I never asked her directly about the bird because, well, I'm not really sure why. I guess there are just some things you want to figure out on your own. But one day she decided to keep her eye on me, and when I wandered off holding a garden spade, she followed. I started digging, and to her horror... She watched as I exhumed the rotten bird. She screamed, of course, and then I spun around. I didn't think I'd done anything wrong, but she was pretty upset, so that made me get upset. She hurried me into the house and scrubbed me really hard, and then she asked me what I was doing with that dead bird. When I explained everything, she immediately got it. Her tone softened, and then she explained to me her version of the whole body-soul-spirit thing. She assured me that the bird's spirit had been in heaven since the very first day, but that the bodies stay here so that they can return to the earth. 
the way she explained it to me, it made perfect sense. And I was able to go on with my life knowing that that bird would be okay. I told all my friends about my discovery, and I had a new sense of things after that. I was a little closer to knowing how everything works. Well, that's the end of the story. But what is the moral of this story? I obviously learned a lot going through this, but I think there was one thing I took away from the experience that has never left me, and that is that perseverance will always yield a result. Every problem has a solution as long as you are diligent and patient in seeking the answer you will be rewarded I could have quit when my friends did the bird would have remained a mystery for several more years probably but instead I just kept trying to figure it out and that ultimately led to my mother discovering me and providing me with the answer so that's the lesson guys there is an answer to every problem if you are diligent perseverance will always yield a result. Now go out there in the world and be diligent and be a better man today than you were yesterday. Until next time, this is Alf Herigstad signing out.